everybody. I hope you're doing well today. You're about to hear a sermon at Laurentian Wesleyan Church in North Bay, Ontario, Canada. Whether you attend our church or are listening for the first time, we sincerely pray this recording is of help to you. And don't forget, it's always better live. Join us each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. Thanks again for listening. We want to continue our journey through the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, we have come to Matthew chapter 5, verse 43 to 48. And we've, uh, we've been, uh, as we've journeyed through this passage, uh, of course, we're, we're seeing that Jesus is not as much concerned with, with just what's on the outside, right? He's concerned with our heart and what's on the inside. And so I'd, I'd love to read this for us from Matthew chapter 5, verse 43 to 48. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. You, uh, you may have noticed I, uh, I titled the message, A Heart of, kind of in brackets, perfect, <laughs> perfect love. A Heart of Perfect Love. You know, when it says that uh, to hate your enemies, you know, the Old Testament doesn't say to, to hate your enemies, Exactly, but you you could kind of see how maybe the Pharisees and others of the day that were that were seen to be so consumed with outward appearance. Uh, when it says something like this in Psalm one thirty nine, verse twenty one and twenty two, it says, "Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I could count them my enemies." You can see how, like, okay, well, you know, it says there to hate your enemies, doesn't it? Right? Well, as, you know, I think that as, uh, as we think of that word hate, I'm reminded that in, in my house growing up, uh, you know, hate, I remember the word hate was, was, that was the bad word in our house. I remember getting in more trouble for saying, you know, when my brother and I would fight, and we used to fight, <laughs> uh, when we would fight, and sometimes I'd get so angry, and I was younger than him, and I'd say, I hate you. And I remember getting in such trouble for that. We even kind of had a, uh, a saying around our house, if you said the word hate, you had to bring in the wood for a week, right? You know, that was the kind of thing. And I remember, I remember one time at school, I don't know how old I was, but I had heard some curse words and I came home and I called my brother all these other words. <laughs> and, uh, and it was funny cause I, I actually don't remember getting in much trouble for that. I remember getting in trouble for the hate word, right? Hate, uh, and here it is. Hate. You've heard it said, hate your enemies. And certainly there were, we, we hate things that God hates, right? If we use that uh, term. But Jesus is helping us separate the actions from the person, I think, here. Uh, is one of the things he's doing. Surely, surely God does not love persecution. But he, he does love the persecutor, doesn't he? It's interesting to note that the word hate here 
it doesn't necessarily mean violence or anger towards someone. Like if, if you, uh, you know, maybe you kind of grew up with, with my understanding of hate, but it was pretty, if you said you hate someone, that's pretty, there's, a, there's almost a little bit of violence there and anger and just uh, hate, you know, that kind of thing. And there's a sense here in this word that it, it sometimes may just mean to not love someone. Uh, or to regard them with less affection. And there's almost a sense where maybe in Jesus' day that word hate wasn't quite as strong as maybe my understanding or your understanding. And you could think that and say, well, hey, that's not so bad, is it? Uh, There's lots of people that I don't hate in that way uh, as I think of the word hate. So God God just doesn't want me to be mean to them, or uh, I can do that. Right? I can just not love them. You know, kind of understand what I mean there. But I believe this understanding of the word hate makes the passage pierce even further. When you think about it, sometimes I think we think as long as we don't hate, we're good. I mean, hate is a strong word. I don't hate anyone. But Jesus doesn't let us off the hook because he says we should love our enemies. We should pray for them. What is he saying? Those are action words, right? Those are action words. To not hate someone is more than just don't retaliate against what they've done, but it's a positive love that we're supposed to have. Action-oriented. Love is a verb, as I've heard. Genuinely wanting their good. Well, boy, that's getting a little meddlesome, (laughs) right, Jesus? Right? I'm supposed to love them in that way? And when we do this, when we love even our enemies, we will, we will truly look like a child of God and reflect God's character in our actions. <clears throat> I think that's what it means when it says that, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. That this is what the children of the Father do. They love their enemies. And then we come to this part where it speaks about the rains falling on the righteous and the unrighteous. And, and through the word, the scriptures, and through life, we can see that sometimes, sometimes frustrating stuff can happen. You know, a person can live right according to God's word as best they can. They can do their best to treat others with kindness and respect. They can try to be a good example for their family and And their life is so hard, right? Their life just seems to be hard. And then on the flip side, somebody can make all the wrong choices, right? And they don't care at all about God's word. And their life seems to be, you know, everything they touch turns to gold, as they say. And it can be frustrating, right? It can be frustrating. And you can kind of sometimes ask God, you know, what's, what's the point here? Why should I try? And I wonder if God sometimes is using these things in our life to to test us, to test our character. After all, it's easy to love those who love you, as Jesus says. It's harder to love those who hate you. When I think of that word test, I mean, who here likes the word test? You know, nobody likes the word uh, test. It was fun. Um, well, fun's not the right word, maybe, but we were helping uh, uh, Chris and Tina work, uh, move <laughs> on Friday, and, uh, and they were able to pack everything up there on Friday night, 
And uh, he was just, uh, we were talking, he was telling a story about his brother that wanted to take their boat license. And he, and, and they wanted, he wanted him and I think his other brother, let's go do it, let's go do it. It's just a written test, as, as I understand. I've never done it. And, uh, and so they went in there and they started going. And, he, he, and Chris overheard his brother get angry and stuff. And here his brother failed the test. And everybody else passed it. And he was the one that wanted it. I remember being at a... At a uh, Appahawk Baptist Church, just outside of Sussex, New Brunswick, just visiting there one day. And there was a, a little children's moment that they had, and they brought the children forward. And, and the point of, of the little lesson that the person had was that she was so glad that there's no test to get into heaven. And, uh, and I understood what she was saying, right? We, we believe, you know, to get into heaven, you, you trust in the name of the Lord. That's the test. Um, and, and, you know, she, she kind of made her, uh, had her little story. And then I was in college, Bible college at the time. Then a, one of my peers felt he should stand up and tell them they all were wrong. And uh, all of us college students kind of shrank down because he stood up and says, you guys need to know that there are tests and God does test us. And he puts us through the fire and, and he was... And he wasn't completely wrong. <laughs> it was just that wasn't really the place. And that poor lady that brought that children's uh, children's lesson. Well, you know what? Sometimes God God does bring things into our life that that, as we sometimes say, put us through the fire <laughs> a little bit. That refine us. That burn away the things that are not that are not of Him. You know, there's a song I thought of by uh, by the worship leader Paul Balash, and let me read his. His lyrics here will be tested by the fire, persecuted and reviled. Maybe either way, there will be trials. We will hold on. And this is the part I kind of is interesting. We'll be tested by the blessing with all the comforts of the world surrounding. We will not forget the savior. We will hold on. We will hold on to your love. It's, it's a similar test, isn't it? Just a little different one. One we might like to go through, the blessing test. But it's like we're going through the fire. Will we hold on to the love of the Lord? Or will we let bitterness and resentment take root? Throughout Matthew 5, which, which we've been looking at again for a few weeks now, Jesus is pushing deeper beyond the surface, right? It's easy to love. It's easy to love someone who loves you back, right? It's not so easy to love someone who does evil to you or even persecutes, even persecutes you. And after saying all this, Jesus ends this passage by saying, "Be perfect, just like God is perfect." Be perfect. How, how in the world are we supposed to be perfect, right? Perfect. And of course, we know that word perfect. You could even substitute the word holy, right? God is holy. God is perfect. How do we, how do we live out Jesus' commands when, when they seem so hard or even impossible? And we might say, God, this is impossible to perfect all the time. I mean, man, I slipped up 10 times this morning, <laughs> right? You might say, I would never say that. Uh, 
Isn't God setting the bar too high? Isn't he setting it too high? Well, what does it mean? What does this passage mean here to be perfect? That, that word perfect means to be totally mature, to be holy, to be like God, to have his attitude. And I think it means to have a heart that reflects the Lord Jesus. What greater, what greater compliment, if you want to use that word, could we have than to say, boy, they, they act like Jesus. <laughs> they, they are reflecting, I think, what Jesus would do. Jesus isn't interested in a, in a superficial observance of the letter of the law. He is calling us to a radical search for the true will of God that is before, behind, and surrounding the intent of the law. If it were really easy to do these things, we may be tempted to think we don't need God. But God puts forward what seems to be impossible so he can make the impossible possible and therefore show himself to us in a new way as he changes our hearts. Because this is, all, this is what it's all about. God wants to change our heart. This isn't looking good on the outside. This is about being good, so to speak, righteous on the inside. John Wesley said this. He had a few things to say about this topic. That he, uh, that he will put these laws in our minds and write them on our hearts. He well knew how ready our unbelief would be to cry out, This is impossible. And therefore stakes upon it all the power, truth, and faithfulness of him to whom all things are possible. With God, all things are possible. Scripture keeps coming back to this idea. We can't get away from it. In 1 Peter 1, verse 15 to 16, it says, But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. So, so having a perfect heart is having a heart, I believe, that reflects Jesus in what we say and what we do and what we think. And so what does it mean, as, as this can seem like an impossibility? How do we really do this in practicality? Well, the first, uh, first there on your outline, a heart that reflects Christ is only possible with God. It's only possible with God. God's perfect love is always our example. It's not possible for us. So when you would say, this is impossible, yes, it is. <laughs> but God can do it in us as we look to him. You know, I remember years ago, I went to a, a big fireworks show at the uh, all-can aluminum plant of all places in Kingston. And uh, I really like fireworks, although we didn't make it to any on Canada Day, but uh, we, we uh, went down to Roblin there. They don't have a big fireworks show in Roblin. <laughs> um, but uh, we went to this, this celebration, and it was with my, my friend and his father who worked there at the Alcan plant. And uh, it was kind of a funny celebration in a way, because they were celebrating a record that they had reached in hours of safety. 
right, that they had broken some record that they had had that many safe hours. And so someone got hurt, so they had a celebration. <laughs> that was the funny part, I thought, uh, you know, that it kind of ended, and so they had this celebration. But it was, it was incredible, you know, this fireworks show. It, I think it might be the best I've ever seen, and it was just a neat, a neat, uh, a neat event that we went to. And so when you think about that, that standard of safety in a plant, right, the goal is always safety. Wherever you're working, the goal is, boy, you want a safe environment to work. Well, when something happens, do we just give up and say, well, I guess we can't do it, <laughs> right? I guess we can't, we can't be safe here. We might as well just let everybody run around with popsicles in their mouths or something like that. I don't know. Um, we, we don't say that, right? We get back up and we say, well, boy, we want people to be safe. So what can we learn? What can we learn from this? What can, what can we do better next time to make sure that we're safe? Well, I wonder if that's, that's the way that we do or we don't approach God changing our heart. We might make a mistake or we mess up or we do the wrong thing. Maybe, maybe to be honest, we would have to say intentionally. Maybe we just kinda, it just kind of happened or wherever we are on that, we might be tempted to say, oh, it's just, it's just impossible. We can't do it. And God is saying, well, listen, can I help you up? <laughs> can I help you up? Let's learn from that. I want to do a work in you. Let's learn what, you can, uh, what I can do in your heart because of that. A heart that reflects Christ is only possible with God. Number two, a heart that reflects Christ is surrendered. It's a surrendered heart. Pride is never part of a Christian's heart. It, well, I... I, I should say it shouldn't be, <laughs> right? It shouldn't be, but sometimes it creeps in there, doesn't it? When we surrender our heart to Christ, we are saying, not my will, but yours be done. And I, I have found that this is a constant prayer, that there are times that we want our will, don't we? But we know that this doesn't reflect God's perfect heart. So we, so we surrender. I think it comes back to that, the idea of this being impossible. You know, I've heard people say in different ways, it's just, it's not possible to live for God, right? And they get, list all these reasons. We can't do that. You know, whether it's in our thought life or whether it's how we treat others or whether what the things that we say or our sexuality or we can't do it. We can't. There's too many pressures. And God just wants us to surrender, just surrender. And, and the, the scary thing is, and the thing we need to keep in tension is that sometimes we grow and we start making the right choices and we start reflecting a little bit more God's heart. And it's so easy to say, look what I've done. Look what I've done. And we start looking down on others. If they could only get where I am. And God looks down and says, what are you doing? <laughs> right? Those who have been forgiven much should be the first to forgive others. A heart that reflects Christ is only possible with God it is surrendered. And number three, a heart that reflects Christ is growing. Is growing. And this is, you know, I think this is about maturity. Maturity. You know, there are, there are benchmarks in life along the way. You know, there, uh, as you've 
no, no doubt family and friends, if you look around, there's some benchmarks that have happened this June. As sometimes there's been a, a, an ending and a beginning, you know, a graduation or something like that. And there are, when you're a teenager, you can be very mature for your age. And you say, boy, aren't they mature? You know, I think of, uh, I think of uh, your granddaughter, Verna. She's very mature for her age. She's only, in, was it grade six that she graduated from? And I'm like, man, I believe grade 10, <laughs> you know. But she's still a teenager, right? She's still a teenager. She's in that part of her, of her life. And she still has some growing to do, right? And when you enter adulthood... You haven't, uh, you haven't arrived and stopped maturing, right? We still have things to learn. There's still things that we need to grow in. There's still more to learn even though you're in a new stage of life. There are different stages of maturity in life. And I think this is true in our journey with Christ as well. Maybe you feel you've surrendered your heart to God's will. And there's a maturity there for you. You didn't have before. But there's still more. There's still more to learn. There's more to understand. There's more to grow in. A heart that reflects Christ is always growing. Is always growing. You know, I think of a, I think of a, a lady that I saw again uh, at a district conference. Her name is Mary Lou Price. And, uh, you know what, one thing she is, uh, she is just a sweet, sweet lady. And, uh, but one thing that has always struck me about her is she's always kind of has, she just has a humble spirit. She'll speak about how, you know, God is helping her with something or growing. And one thing that has always just struck me is that you can tell when she comes into worship that she is there to worship God and it doesn't, it hardly matters what they're doing. <laughs> I've just seen it in her, right? She'll just immediately, you know, not that it's all about outward things, but she'll just immediately kind of lift her, and she just is in that place. She's worshiping the Lord. And she's growing and growing, and she knows that there's more that God wants to do in her. A heart that reflects Christ is only possible with God. It's a surrendered heart. It's a growing heart. And a heart that reflects Christ points to the future. And herein lies hope. When we use that word hope, really, does it not mean the future, right? Our hope is in Christ and the work that he does in us. If you're struggling in an area of your life, maybe, it's, maybe it is loving your enemies. Maybe it's in your thoughts. Maybe, maybe to be honest, you're full of pride. And maybe you shut off 10 minutes ago because you think you've arrived, right? Well, you haven't. (laughs) I haven't either. There is coming a day when all the hidden areas of our heart will be laid bare before God. And it won't be all the work that we've done that God will ask about. He's asking, did you let my son change your heart? Did you let my son change your heart? That's where it begins. Thanks so much for listening today. It's our prayer that you would discover the love, joy, and purpose found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. We would love to hear from you, or better yet, why not visit us? You can find out more about our church at our website, 
LaurentianChurch.com. Laurentian Wesleyan Church, following Christ, growing together. Thank you.